0: All right, and welcome to the 47 podcast today. My name is RJ, this is Mike, uh, and we have a special guest today. We have uh, David from uh, PAX 217, among many other things since then, uh, but we are going to talk to him today from everything uh, from PAX 217 to what's going on today and everything in between. So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, guys. Yes, yes, yes. Stoked to be here. Glad to converse. It's going to be a good time. If you, yeah, face, if you see my very excited
2: if you see my face glistening it's because my office is literally 125 degrees <laughs> holy crap
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, nice man. well hey we are talking to you i think you're in uh california am i right
1: mm-hmm. yeah i live in laguna beach in california
0: nice nice we are all the way on the other side we are both in rhode island Um, so it's, it's a bit of the opposite. Um, but we are talking to again, David from PAX 217, our whole podcast. We've been talking to people who were involved. Uh, in any shape or form in in the Christian rock scene um, all all the way in the 90s, all the way to today. Um, And you are one of the bands that I listened to uh, all the way back in uh, 2000. Uh, I say all the way back for some people that's like, that was yesterday. Um, But it was an amazing time uh, for music for me. Um, I got into Christian rock. I got into rock in the 2000s area. um, And I actually saw you guys at Six Flags, of all places.
1: Oh, really? uh, Back in the day. And I
0: want to say it was one of your later shows in New England.
1: Ah, yeah, okay.
0: I want to say they labeled it a fall quest.
1: I want to say I wish I could remember it. (laughs) (laughs) You know? I'd love to be like, oh, yeah, man, I remember. I mean, there's many that I do remember, but. I mean, we were doing two hundred to two hundred fifty shows a year, solid. And I, so there are many that I just, I wish my mind could remember. But uh, that's so cool, man. Well, I have to admit,
0: I after reading some of your uh, interviews from the past, um, this was the time frame I think where you guys were at the height of touring, at the height of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was shortly after um that you guys disbanded so I, I think i got it in rare and i saw you guys right before then so okay. i'm not surprised that you don't remember
1: <laughs> so this was what year again do you think it was
0: i i want to say it was it was it was definitely after uh the engage album i want to say uh check your pulse may have just come out okay. maybe yep yep that um,
1: was, uh near near the ending of things <laughs> That's cool. yeah
0: yeah but hey i you're back or at least you did a reunion show a couple of years ago which was really awesome to hear um and you've been up to a lot of really cool things
1: yeah thanks um yeah we had such an amazing time uh doing the reunion we did a reunion show in 2013 house of blues anaheim um and then we did another one with uh the prayer chain actually which is really fun tim Tabor, uh who's a singer and also puts on a lot of events and has for years here and was a huge support to us in our whole career you know building up and loved him so much and he asked us last minute to do a reunion show with them which is really fun and just had a blast that night and then we also did one uh with the supertones for their last show which the supertones guys were like you know older brothers to us we you know grew up going to their shows helping them with their their gear our original guitar player ethan luck who is still one of my close friends uh he and i started pax when we were 15 and uh he played with the supertones for years played guitar and so just a lot of close connection there and just had an amazing time it was so fun to get back on the stage again and freak out for an hour felt good
2: (laughs) ethan luck he's been in so many bands over the years <laughs> yep. he's been in demon hunter reliant k supertones pax 217 an interview i heard he start. he says he started project 86 at one time with um andrew schwab mm-hmm. he was in value pack mm-hmm. the, he was he was in like he was like started the fire in like the southern california christian music scene for years
1: yeah yeah, Ethan and I literally like we started PAX, I was the original bass player, and Ethan played guitar. And we started that band. And then shortly after that, his his cousin is actually um, Matt Wignall, and Matt Wignall played with. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna blank. Um,
2: it was a a smaller band, right? In Tooth and Nail.
1: Uh, Railroad. Uh. Oh my gosh anyways matt wignall is a legend i love matt he's been in so many cool bands and produced so many cool bands over the years and um so yeah there was just you know it was just like show after show and andrew schwab and and um those guys you know ethan was their bass player and wrote a bunch with them on that first record and played with them and uh, went on to just play with so you're you're right. Sony many, Sony many bands. He's so how,
2: how was it growing up in that Southern California scene? Because they from in my personal perspective, like that Southern California scene had so many great bands like yourself. It had Dogwood, Project 86, had the Supertones. It really that whole tooth and even that tooth and nail era of that Southern California. How was it really growing up in that area? and really, like, was that part of your influence uh, from the scene? growing up in that area uh, yeah,
1: yeah for sure i mean i i would i give much thanks to everybody who was involved in that from the bands to the promoters to the pastors that were you know enabling us to practice in their their uh, youth group rooms or whatever we we you know we had a lot of support and that was you know a huge thing is you know any any artist that comes up you know they, they're never well they're very rarely doing it completely on their own yeah um and and so you know i look back and i'm just like oh man i the list of um you know people that just came around and said yeah you can use our place or you can do this or here's a drum kit or here's you know whatever it was to um actually being in the scene and and people creating the scene which was you know there was a church here locally um that jason carson from the supertones was a huge part of and was the youth pastor at at, for quite some time i forget how long and um you know, they had these underground, they had this little play, you know, every, every place, by the way, is called the underground or it's called, you know, extreme or, you know, whatever. So this is another underground and it was this really cool youth groom, root youth room under the church. And it was like this big space and it was super cool. And uh, they had every year they had these big shows and MXPX and, you know, I mean, so many bands that you guys would know, know, um, that we all played with, that we were around, that we were influenced by, that were you know, especially the guys that were two, three, four years older than us that were playing, um that had a huge impact on us. And and you know, I'm grateful for that. It was really cool, a lot of, a lot of cool nice. moments. Yeah. So I have a
0: growing up in that scene. Oh, sorry. Go. Now the question for you.
2: So, you know, it seems like a lot of your it seems like the people you associate with are scientists. Was signed to Tooth and Nail Records. That was a big. That was big in Southern California when they because when Brandon Ebel started that in like '94, he really helped that underground scene. Was that your goal to be signed to Tooth and Nail when when Forefront came around? You know what were you thinking? Were you waiting for Tooth and Nail to say, "Hey, I want to sign you," or did was were you content with Forefront?
1: Um. Well, I think I mean Tooth and Nail was you know, Brandon. Was a brilliant business business guy in his marketing and his like way of really being in the scene and helping create a scene by the bands that he signed and yeah. So we knew a lot of, but yeah, we were friends with so many artists on Tooth and Nail, and we all thought it was cool. And um, and for whatever reason, they weren't. You know, Brandon knew us. He he saw us play shows. He you know we were at all the same places. You know, and so he knew us. And and that just never really came up there was some interest at some point i don't remember specifically right now uh how far that went but um you know i just got lucky we we met our AR guy at a Tomfest up in washington uh which was a cool like kind of legend um christian music festival put on by a guy named uh, mikey bridges
2: and- ah mikey bridges i haven't heard yeah. that name in a long time
1: all right, so so that that festival kind of you know that's where we met our A and R guy, and there was a ton of tooth and nail bands uh, that we were playing with, and friends with, and um, and also you know I think at that time, uh, I mean, Pax Two Seventeen wasn't cool compared to like the dingies or um, you know a lot of hardcore bands and things that we were people that we were playing with punk rock bands um we were do we were fusing a bunch of styles together and we were experimenting and being 15 and 16 and doing the best we could to write the music we were writing and so a lot of a lot of those bands straight up you know they they just didn't get what we were doing or they weren't into it or we weren't cool enough for them or whatever and that's not a pity story but it but it is kind of is what it is you know there's a lot of bands that we just we would go to play with them we'd be stoked like oh cool we're gonna play with so-and-so and they would be like ah you guys are like this like rap reggae thing and we don't rock thing and we don't really get it, you know, or we're just not into it, you know, whatever. And so it, it took a minute. And I think forefront, you know, um, in a sense took a big risk on us because, you know, they had, you know, whatever DC talk and audio journal and all these bands that they had built up over the years. And we were this new young band from California and um, didn't, you know, have a, bunch of touring history or anything like that to really validate um, and um, but you know they, they believed in us and we did what we did with them which Nice was cool. so you
0: you got the attention of Forefront um, how did that come about uh, the actual signing and, and really getting into the, the recording studio for the first time with them uh, with the 217 album what was that like for you?
1: Yeah um, well the process was like a 10 or 11 month signing process. So we were in a lot of conversations, you know, there was a lot of actually, you know, a label needs to be smart about if, Are these kids going to break up next week by the time we sign them? You know, so there was a, there was a long process there of, of actually um, getting through all the paperwork and, um, and then, you know, we got really lucky that um, the POD guys knew us um, and Mark, our A and R guy, who's an amazing guy, I love him so much, and he um, reached out to Howard Benson, who did our first record, who was also the guy who produced um, the Pod Southtown record, which blew up. And Howard was like, you know, really generous. He he did the record for much much less than their uh, the Pod Atlantic budget, <laughs> and um, and so you know we we were very lucky to make a record in. I think we made that album i should record we, we made that album in about a month and um and it was an amazing process and it and it we we're really really lucky to have someone as high level as howard come in and and um help us work through the, the stuff that we just were dumb and naive about you know as far as how to you know we had recorded several demos and worked with some really cool guys that had believed in us um scott saletta from plank i actually um we did a demo with him that um, helped help that signing process happen for sure. And um, several of the songs that were on our first album were on that demo, a couple of them. And, um, and so, you know, we're, we're just really lucky that we, we got to work with someone as high level. I mean, Howard helped us, Howard kicked our butts and Howard helped us um, really dial in, uh, bring a sound together that was sort of like, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we weren't, Guitar, guitar super guitar savvy with guitar sounds for example or whatever but we had we had very clear ideas of what we wanted and um man i i just owe that guy a lot he was he was really cool and a great great teacher i mean so many great stories out of that album also you know we recorded in this house that was the the guy who owned that house was uh one of michael jackson's uh writers and so we we recorded in this insanely cool house in in Sherman Oaks and we um you know Bobby Brooks our engineer worked with Stevie Wonder and had all these legend stories and so we you know worked with Ice-T and Body Count and all these these bands and these artists that you know we would just hear the wildest stories and and it you know it was pretty inspiring minus maybe some some of the stories were <laughs> but, you <know. laughs>
2: when you when you signed a forefront records did you realize the history of forefront records because in the 90s forefront records was like the record label to they had because in the 90s they had the beginnings of skillet they had bleach they had rebecca st james all the toby mack michael michael um tate kevin max dc talk all of audio adrenaline you know they had so many other great bands did you realize the history that you were getting yourself into and and kind of the, um, the greatness of this label.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had a pretty fair understanding. We, we were, became super close with the bleach guys. I love that you brought them up. They just did a reunion show uh, this weekend, this past weekend, I think. Um, And they were just amazing and became really good. Like label mate brothers to us that um, showed us a lot and, and stuff. And, you know, our record deal, just point blank, our, our record deal is, is like a, a horrific record deal mm. in, in the scheme of, of uh the music business. And so we, we knew what we were getting into as far as um like oh this label has all these big Christian artists and they've helped them become successful, and that was appealing. And also, you know, we actually really had a desire to be on a mainstream label from day one, yeah. But but we were in the mix with all you know tooth and nail and all these labels that we're bringing up and and it was like you know we just saw it as like oh this is cool they have mainstream distribution maybe this will help get us down the path etc and you know years later we end up getting out of our deal uh towards the end of the band um because it wasn't wasn't all that great and it was really difficult uh to work with and there was a lot of great people there so you know it's it's interesting in the corporate space of music you know you get close with a bunch of people that you really like and you really appreciate what they're doing at the label. And yet at the end of the day, um, you know, the, you know, sometimes the, the business fit isn't the best, you know, but, um, well, but at the time we did have a really, you know, we were really excited and we had, you know, we we're like, Oh, cool. This is, and we knew too, that we were kind of the, you know, at some level we were sort of like this new young hip band from California compared to. Some of the artists that they had had for a long time, or that were kind of older, less yeah, edgy, or whatever word you want to use. I mean, it's all kind of feels cheeseball to use, but <laughs> there was you know, edgy, whatever that means. But but it was a it was a extreme. really cool experience. Yeah, it was extreme. Um, it was it was a really cool experience to have you know, so many people on that label and the artists on that label really showing us love. You know, like I remember playing some big festivals and, you know, hanging out with Rebecca St. James or, you know, the DC talk guys or Toby, you know, Toby specifically was, you know, really just a big hearted loving guy who was always like, yeah, PAX guys, what's up, you know? And so there, there was a lot of love that um, we experienced from, from so many people at that label and and through those, those artists. Yeah.
2: yeah I can see it because you are right. Cause when you guys were assigned, if I remember correctly, I could be totally wrong on this one, but they didn't really have a young hip band anymore because like Skillet the Skillet today wasn't the Skillet back then. They were a very, very different band. Mm-hmm. Bleach always a solid band, but Audio Jones was around for years. DC Talk was around for years. Rebecca St. James was around for years. They didn't have something that really spoke to the 17 to 25 crowd. You, you know, so you are, I, I agree with you. You were, you were definitely that new upcoming band on that label.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were kind of you know that, and so that first record, you know, they put a lot into us to to build out, um, and we had a you know we had a strong first record, and it was cool. We we're really really lucky. It was beautiful.
0: That's awesome. I mean, so in between those albums, so you had two seventeen and then engage. A lot happened. Um, the departure of your brother, um, and then uh, coming on uh, was Bobby, Joey, and Chris, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and you guys started to record for uh, the Engage album, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of where I came in. Um, I then ended up going back and listening to, to the older oh, yeah. album. But um, Engage was, was uh, a super powerful album, in my opinion. Um, it was hard. Um, the, the raps that were in there were, um, lack of a better word, credible. Uh, they were really, really good. Um, there wasn't anything in my years at the time uh, in the Christian world um, and so I caught on to that pretty quick. I was also listening to Spoken, some of the earlier Spoken oh, yeah. stuff, um, oh, which in, in their rap stuff for the Spoken stuff was was a little similar to me. It was really, really good. Um, but a lot of stuff's going on. You have new people coming in. You have your brother leaving. What were some of the feelings behind that with your brother leaving and then some of these guys coming on?
1: Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, that whole process of our second album was like the classic – the classic second album, like the sophomore album, like how are they gonna pull off making something that's decent, you know, or great for that matter, um, past their first album that had a lot of, you know, a lot of hype behind it and a lot of love shown to it, and um, yeah, my brother not coming back. So, so to really paint that picture, to back up just a little bit, you know, my brother Aaron, A.K.A. Squid, <laughs> um, back then, uh, he. He was 15 when we made the first album and he had the opportunity to tour with us but actually chose to stay in high school and wanted to wanted to stay in high school and um and we were we were bummed particularly me i was his brother We'd, we he and i were the ones that kept you know pax essentially broke up uh when i was the bass player and he was the drummer and ethan that we were talking about earlier left to go play with supertones and my brother and i were you know he was like God, like 14, and I'm like 18, and I'm like, hey, do you want to do this band? I'm going to do this band. And he's like, yeah, I'm in. And so we did it, and we got signed, and we made that first album. And then he had the opportunity to tour, and he just chose to stay in school instead of touring. And we ended up finding, you know, needed to find some other drummers. And so, um, that said, you know, it was just like we weren't super connected. He was in high school, um, and there's just a lot going on and um so we started touring and eventually met joey through uh the folds and guys I remember seeing joey play a folds and or a show and just being like oh my god who's that kid that guy's dope let's play with him you know and asked him to come play some shows with us and came out and uh so we we had such an incredible experience um, with joey i love joey so much and um and yeah and then actually so Bobby, Bobito the Chef, our DJ, actually we met him on our first tour ever, which he was in a band called Big Dog Small Fence, and they were kind of like a sublime, like reggae, long beach hip-hop kind of band. They were they were cool. And um, they did like ska reggae stuff with a little bit of like rap moments, you know. And um and we hit it off with him and we had a bunch of turntable stuff on our first album and we were like man we'd love to get a dj playing with us live it'd be so fun so he had actually come on and played a bunch of shows with us uh before that album he'd been touring with us for quite a while but his brother tito or chris uh came in and started playing percussion and i actually don't remember the exact timing on that um when when he started touring full-time with us but um It was great, you know, and we had we just we wanted to put on a killer live show and the percussion and the turntables added a lot. Um, And uh, yeah, going into that second album, we just we worked our we worked our brains out. I mean, we worked super hard writing stuff and we were also touring so much. And I think, you know, there's. You know, we weren't set up as a band like I was writing most of them, the lyrics, the melodies, the guitar parts, you know, a lot of it, especially the first album, the second album. You know, we just had like we had grown so much as, as musicians and touring a lot and just teaches you so much that we really start writing more together. I was still writing a lot of guitar parts and ideas and, and hooks and courses and things. But the whole process was just one after another. And then I, I remember. I had, we were touring somewhere and I had a backpack stolen and I had all my lyrics in that backpack. Everything I had been writing for like a year and a half was, you know, I wasn't on Evernote or Google Docs then, you know. It's like (laughs) I had a classic old school book with a bunch of stuff and I had two or three actually books in that backpack and they were all taken out of a hotel room. And man, I just felt so defeated and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I was just struggling. I was struggling with what to say. I had a lot of internal tensions going on that um you know it's, yeah it was, it was a challenge so going into that record was really interesting because um we were really excited about the energy and a lot of the song ideas and the, the music that we had written but there was a lot of music that was written without words and without melodies and it was really frustrating for me i was really challenged and i spent some time actually working with um i think this is a cool part of the story of that album which is i started working with charlie peacock who's a really well-known legendary legendary yes thank you for val- the validation yeah i was going to say a legend uh producer who's worked with switchfoot actually jerome's worked with him a bunch yeah um and um charlie was our AR guys uh father-in-law and so i got to spend i spent like five days at charlie's house in nashville and writing with him and he was working on other projects but i was basically doing like a writing workshop with charlie living there with them and writing and i wrote basically two songs were were started there um uh on that album uh, working on that album and um i see you i'll see you and um uh one other song i'm sorry i'm blanking right now i'll get to it in a second so um that process is really helpful for me to kind of break through back into the writing um of just having a really amazing songwriter sort of reflect back ideas and be like nah that doesn't work you know try this try that and and um and then when we went to make the the Engage album, we were we made it in San Francisco at this killer studio with this awesome guy named Philip Steer, um, and there was just, uh, you know the te- it's so funny when you listen to it, you listen and you go I oh, was so great and you you say oh there's a lot of like, um, like it was it was harder right isn't that what you said RJ, it's kind of like, yeah yeah you you experience it as like a, a more aggressive album and it was. And there was a lot of that. It was just very true energy for us and for me. You know, I was writing stuff where I was just like, just frustrated about a lot of stuff, and um, and a lot of that stuff was like finished like the day before. Or I'm up and I'm up writing lyrics until like five in the morning and going in the next day at eleven to record it. You know, sleeping for four hours and going back in and singing, and making the album. So it was. Um, it was a cool process and it, and it kicked my butt. It was, it was, uh, it was one of the first times I ever remember having an actual panic attack one night <laughs> and just going, I'm so stressed out trying to make this album. This is crazy, you know, but it, it came together and it's, it's part of the tension of the pain of making art, you know, and you, you just just dig in with everything you got and bleed out your arms and do whatever you need to do to, to make the thing happen. And it was cool.
2: You know, making the, making the album, uh, making your owls and you specifically your record though you mentioned that it wasn't the best deal you could ever have gotten, and then also, <laughs> and then that's also,
1: really nice way of putting it, like. <laughs>
2: yeah, it was trash. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, remember, yeah, let me be saying that, and then the 2000s really 99 2000 really hurt a lot of bands. That's when Napster really started coming out, that's when iTunes started coming out, and labels were just draining of money and they were really trying to figure out how they can make money. So they had to sell small labels were being bought up by other labels and all that jazz. And I think forefront was sold out maybe a few years, maybe 2005 or six to capital, um, Christian, capital Christian. You had, so you, you, had a lot go on in your career as a musician. How does, how does this being a young person, how does your faith stay grounded or did it stay grounded? What was that, what was that like during this time? Hmm. I know I said a lot there, but, um,
1: (laughs) yeah. So, so, um, so if I'm hearing right, just what, what's the, the tension that was, yeah. Like how, how, how does your faith stay
2: grounded during all this? Uh,
1: Gosh. Um, well, all I can say, I mean, I can say first of all, I should say I I hope that it was. Yeah. <laughs> um. I, I did, sure sure did my best with what I had to work with. Um, and, um, you know. I have to give I have to give our band credit, a lot of credit for. Um, we did a lot of work as a band internally, and we made it a like a a major. It was an absolute commitment to um to dig into the betterment of ourselves constantly and you know our we were lucky to have several like guys who were like spiritual mentors to us that were constantly connected with us and reaching out and knew what it was like to be on the road and how taxing that is to your system overall and um there was a, there was a lot you know there was a lot that we did we, I mean we constantly had bible studies you know we were constantly reading the bible and we were we were um we had meetings after every show almost and we um we had a at the last ah, maybe it was a year year and a half of the band we had a therapist that we worked with who was amazing that um really came alongside of us and helped us work together um so when you talk about when you talk about faith being grounded by the way i just want to make sure for me like how i interpret that sure. language, how i interpret that language is like some people say um when you think of faith, you know, what does that mean? That's a pretty broad term, you know? And some people have exactly what they know what that means, and other people go, oh, what do you mean by faith? And so I would just say, like, you know, my faith at that time was, like, very committed hmm. to trying to understand my experience of God. And 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 also, I will say that, you know, admittedly, it was quite legalistic in our structure because we saw so, – so there's an interesting thing there for me that's, you know – we saw a lot of bands around us like really hurting, you know, and a lot of guys in those bands making rough decisions in their lives and, and doing things that weren't healthy and you know, helpful mm. for, their, for them and their families or, you know, whoever. Right. Whoever it affects around them. And we just I, I was like, I was always like, I just don't I don't want to I don't want to fall into that space of, you know, I just I just knew it. It, ta- it just taxes you like until you tour, until you spend 250 days a year on the road. Like you just, you can't understand that experience. Right. Mm. And so, and, and within the context of like a quote unquote Christian band or a quote unquote Christian label or Christian industry, um, you know, or my favorite one would just be Christian community. (laughs) But, um, within the context of that, there's so much pressure. Mm. There is just so much pressure on you to show up and perform and be this you know god incarnate yourself but you're a singer in a band and you know quite frankly you're just like dude i'm not the hell i'm doing here just trying to to make it through the day you know like i just i just barely had two dollars to eat lunch and i got to this place where i'm gonna play and i'm exhausted and we just drove 18 hours and my wife and i are doing so well back at home and you know whatever the story looks like in that moment there's so much pressure to also show up and be this like this completely embodied you know healed leader uh that people expect you to be and so uh for us it was just like we just kind of almost to our detriment probably just like gripped on harder to Mm. like practices of of saying okay look let's like you know let's like have time where we're listening to like really uplifting music while we're driving or like let's like you know do a bible study and invite other dudes on on the tours to come join us if they want or you know we were doing what we could um right now today looking back i sure wish i would have had a lot more tools than just like hey let's do a bible study because yeah, yeah yeah you know that's that's nice or you know and, and can be helpful but there's there's just a lot of other things that are much more practical that actually help you better mm-hmm. uh, to be honest but um and i know some people that maybe you're listening that are christian might go what how could you say that um and i would just say like there's a physical body that gets taxed and there's a lot of things like eating healthy and doing things like breath work or you know exercising or practicing yeah. yoga or whatever that help you stay healthy right and then you can be a clearer mind when you're out on tour under all those pressures you know yeah. so i don't mean to negate one or the other i just mean that you know you know, it's like me saying I'm just going to read the Bible every day, and my whole life's going to be great. It's like, well, no. Like, there's wisdom in there, and also, it doesn't fix all the, the interpersonal communication yep. issues between a band or a relationship or whatever, right? So, um, hope that hope that makes sense.
2: No, it does. And the reason I was asking that question is because before you came on the air, you know, I don't want to say the band's name, but me and Iji were talking about a band, and they were a Christian rock band, and now they're not Christian at all anymore. And they were, we were, they were. Me, we, RJ and I were having a discussion, you know, because the band was saying, "Well, the reason we're not Christian anymore is because when we needed help the most from the Christian community, they were the worst and they were the most judgmental towards us." And I was saying to my, we had a little debate going on about this, and that's what made me think. I'm like, "Yeah, it's being a Christian artist. You are under the microscope no matter what you do, especially if you are in a hard rock band or if you're a female or whatever." How you dress, what you say, what you do, your actions are under a microscope and it can be taxing and it can really, um, unless you're not, and and this is where RJ and I were discussing about, you need to be really grounded in your faith because you can be pulled really quick out of like, um, I was like, I was thinking of the three soils in the Bible. If you're not grounded, you can be really kind of pulled from that soil. If you're not really grounded in your faith.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So uh... yeah, go ahead. ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, you know, we've established, I think that throughout the engage album, it was a very difficult time recording, uh, creating it. I've read, uh, you know, that you mentioned, you know, that you can point out a hundred million things you would have done differently. Um, You know, and I think we talked about it earlier where you said, you know, hearing yourself is much different than, than other people hearing you for me, that was one of the better albums I'd ever heard, you know, and I still listen to it today um, oh, You know, and, and a great album. And I, and I know people have come up to you and they've said like, this song touched me, this song is, and I, I know I, as an, as an artist, you must like hearing those, you know, that, that something that you did um, or something that you wrote really, really reached somebody. Um, and for that album, for me, uh, counting down the days was, was the song for me uh, off oh, wow. of that album. And, and it's funny cause that's the, the least, rocky song on the album that is the the <laughs> acoustic worshipful sure. song i would i would call it even though it's not about that but um yeah for me i my aunt passed away in in 2003 and just hearing that song for me and and i may be totally wrong about what the album what that song was about but for me it really was was one of those things of you know i'll see you again and you know you're you're in a place that we've talked about before and and for me that was really really uh, encouraging you know to listen to that over and over on repeat for a long time. So,
1: man, that's awesome. I'm so uh, grateful to hear that. Thank you for um, reflecting that back. And like, yeah, that song was about my grandfather who passed away. And um, I actually had a last phone call with him when I was on tour in like Kansas. We were staying at some some somebody's house, uh, and I remember like talking to him on the phone. And um, well, I was talking, and he was unable to talk, and he could just barely make some little breath breathing grunt sounds and unfortunately he went he just went down very quick and in a couple weeks time and i wasn't able to get back to see him before he passed and um that was really tough for me it it you know <laughs> those are the moments that a lot of people don't talk about when you're touring and you you have your grandpa dying and you can't get back and you're the singer in the band and you you have a responsibility or a, a call so to speak to you know show up for you know Oh my gosh, we're gonna miss six shows. How does that affect everybody? You know, and um, and all and the pressure of that just internally and in de- dealing with that. Not that the guys in the band wouldn't have would have totally supported if I had said, "Hey, I gotta get home." I just didn't know he obviously was gonna pass, right? And so um, that song came really from that place of, of uh, yeah, he used to he always, always used to say, um, you know, come and see me sometime. Um, hey, fella, I love you. Come and see me sometime now, and that's what those lyrics are at the end of the song um, are about. And so powerful that you connected with that and and i'm sorry to hear about your loss you know and um that's the gift of music man it's like just we go we go through our own pains and then we transmute the energy through sound and lyrics and melody and 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 then it, it can help us all further down the path you know in our experiences mm. as, as humans it's beautiful
0: now i want to make sure we we get into um really what you've been do- doing since then uh the last 15 years because you've been doing some really cool things um that I, I i just caught up with over the last year or so um but uh after the band had uh disbanded you know, i think it was 2005-ish um you got into uh photography um and then from there which we'll get into towards the end here you started doing some stuff uh with men uh men's groups uh t- stuff in the Laguna Beach area. So let's start with like just past, you know, or post PAX 217. uh, How in the world did you get into photography? And, you know, uh, you seem to be doing well with it. Uh, Mike is also a wedding photographer. So maybe you guys will talk more than I will. But um, how did that come about?
1: That's funny. Yeah. So, um, you know, when the band broke up, I literally, uh, band broke up on a Monday. And I believe it was a week or just shy of a week later that I found out uh, my wife and I were going to have our first child. And I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? You know? And, um, and I had a, I had a friend at the time, uh, who was a wedding photographer and he was like, dude, you should shoot. And I was super into photography. It had always been since I was you know young, since I was five, I was snapping little point and shoot cameras. And, um, and he was like, dude you'd be great at it and whatever and i was like wedding photography i'm not gonna be a wedding photographer I, I, you know what are you talking about that sounds bizarre um uh, <laughs> and uh, especially with the you know whatever my ego is doing with my identity as a singer in a band you know i'm like i'm not a wedding photographer i'm a i'm a singer in a band what are you talking <laughs> about? um and uh but you know it was really cool in a in a matter of like a year's time i i shot all these crappy weddings with this terrible well were actually a really cool company but the weddings were often not the nicest weddings and and just tough and i was getting paid nothing to do them and and then i got really good really fast and i was grateful i met some amazing some of the best wedding photographers in the country um, that became really close friends just godsends to me and um i start shooting these crazy two million dollar weddings you know not every weekend but a lot of them uh are you know really really high-end weddings and it was It was a gift and it was also really stressful. And, um, and so I'm no longer a wedding photographer. Um, however I do still shoot and I kind of moved about five years ago. I moved into kind of the more corporate commercial work and, um, was just tired of missing my kids on the weekends. Me and you have a lot in common then. (laughs) So I was a
2: wedding photographer for about 15 years Uh, and I liked it and it was great, but you're always away. So I moved into, so you know, I was doing like thirty weddings a year. Now I'm doing. Uh, I this is my last year doing weddings because I like being home, seeing my kids. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and seeing my wife. So now I'm actually doing commercial photography. We're doing. I'm doing more commercial real estate photography. We're doing like you know, 1,300 1, shoots a year, mm-hmm. and uh, it's nuts. Okay. But actually, do you know? Remember Noggin Toboggan?
1: Yeah, the lead
2: singer of Noggin Toboggan turned to wedding photographer. Oh, okay. I forgot what he was, his name, but he was a beast of wedding photographer. But uh, on a side note, I'm just going to ask this question. And RJ, it's is only going to last two seconds. So I'm asking this question. <laughs> so what do you shoot with?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to Tech Talk. There um, we go.
2: 4 <laughs> <4R7> 7 <laughs> Podcast is officially over, RJ. You can go home and do whatever. Yeah,
1: right. Um, I shoot with a Sony AR7R3. 7 a and, nice. Uh, a couple fixed lenses, man. I'm super simple. I, I've had tons of gear, and then I've also become more and more of a minimalist. And I just go, all I need is an 85 and a 50. And once in a while, if I'm shooting architecture, I'll shoot something wide. But so, yeah, I, I, I shot Canon for 20 years. And yeah. I uh, I now shoot Sony. So
2: I just moved yeah. to Sony with A7 IIIs and A7S threes. Cool. I'll fall four years ago. All right, RJ, tech talk is done. Back to RJ.
1: <laughs> and that concludes our tech yeah, talk I- with. <laughs> I have my phone. My phone does, <laughs> yeah. so my I was phone does say, pretty well. But, honestly, um, you know, I don't carry a camera around at all anymore. Um, but anyway, so I went from wedding photography just to kind of bring that to to com- commercial corporate work. And in between there, um, you know, I went through a divorce when I was 34. And during that time I had someone come into my life who's a coach who who just changed, she changed my life more than anybody has. And just a brilliant, amazing, deep woman, and um, I was so profoundly affected, and um, and really, truly transformed through that coaching work, um, and much thanks to Hot Yoga that I um, just was like, oh my gosh, I want to, I want to help other people too, and um, serve, serve in that way, and and so I became a life coach myself, um, went through some Master coach Academy and a bunch of other trainings and things, and. Um, so that's actually kind of, I'm in this interim where I, I do both. I, um, I still, you know, shoot and, um, do the photography thing here and there, but mostly on the way out from that completely. And I'm leaning back into coaching and working with people and just, you know, supporting people through their paths and their journeys. And then, um, and then in the meantime, I had an idea for, uh, a brand and it's called temple TMPL and, um, and it started with a, a group of guys who I just reached out to a bunch of friends who were uh, here in town in Laguna and who were mostly artists, creatives at some level who were kind of siloed, you know, and all kind of in the same age range, like 30s, 40s, and just disconnected, you know, and didn't have a space to really experience a brotherhood, you know, and, and the more and more I go, <laughs> the, the more and more I get to have uh, breaths in this life. I realized that, um, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of us men specifically, I mean, women too, but a lot of men particularly just live in this body that says, I have to do it on my own. If I don't, I'm weak. Um, you know, and, and a lot of guys burn out really hard and that's why there's a really high suicide rate. And there's, you know, with white men, you know, <laughs> like all, all colors of men, but white men specifically are, you know, very prone to, to um, suicide. And, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm a single dad and um, I have two amazing kids. And, um, you know, through my path and my my suffering that I've experienced um, in this life, I've just also thankfully healed a lot of that and um, continuing to work on that and heal my own life. And, and it's just like, dude, I just want to show up with real people. And, and so um, this brotherhood that I have now, and actually I'm a part of another men's group who, with another group of guys who are just amazing humans who've done a lot of personal spiritual work that um, is not elitist, but it's, it's like guys who are really conscious and aware and spend a lot of time really focusing on what, you know, what I always say, which is what, the question I ask every day is like, you know, Hey, what would love do? What would love do in this, this scenario every time, you know? And um, so the coaching work and, you know, it's like, you guys ever see a uh, goodwill hunting,
2: I haven't, but I've, I've heard it.
1: Okay, it's a great movie with uh, Mark Wahlberg and and, um, and uh, Robin Williams. And there's this line in that movie that's always stuck with me, uh, which Robin Williams is this, like... Um, he's a therapist, you know, and he's kind of, like, a little, little beaten down, a little downtrodden. And Mark Wahlberg comes into his life. He's Will, and he's, you know, being this therapist for Will, and they're pushing up against each other pr- quite hard. And... Uh, Robin Williams is sharing a story and he says, um, look, kid, I look, I teach kid. I never said I was good at it, you know, and I hope I can swear, by the way. I'm sorry about that. We're not I've, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sorry about the word, but if you need to bleep me out, it's fine. I, I have a problem with swearing. really. But anyways, R.D. R.D.
2: swears at me all the time. So the whole the whole podcast is a bleep fest. That's true.
1: But anyways, he says, hey, I teach this. I didn't say I was good at it. You know and he's making this joke like like just because i'm a teacher of the thing doesn't mean i've mastered it right the the whole point of being the teacher is to become the master of this thing i think for me and so so with coaching work and and leaning into just you know more and more understanding of how to be a better human and how to like love people in a deeper way and to, and how can i do that first so i gotta love me first i have to like dig deep down and understand the parts of me that wants to hate myself and then flip it and you know choose love every time and and begin to heal that stuff and it's easier said than done and so being a part of these groups and leading this one has been been a huge huge gift to uh to my life and and being a part of these guys lives has has been monumental so it's huge feels good
0: that's great i it's really awesome to hear that you are you know in the business of, of helping other people uh you know with your life with your businesses it's great um you know I went through a divorce uh five years ago or so as well um, and that's a tough space to be in, which is obvious to say, but as a Christian too, I think there is a whole nother element, um, you know, for me that once you're not a married guy anymore, there's no place for you in a lot of circles. You know, there's no, there there was the married group you were in and all your married friends. And now you're a single dad. I am with, with, with uh, two kids. And Mm. now what do I do? Do I go to the college group now? But I'm, I'm thirty. I'm thirty-four <laughs> at the time, you know. Right. And my church at the time, we had a, our college group was kind of a lame be college age till like forty, as long as you're not married. And so, like, I'm like a thirty-five-year-old hanging out with just a bunch of twenty-two-year-olds going to you mm. know concerts and stuff. And there's just no place, you know, for Which me awesome. in my age. So it's Which really cool awesome. to hear.
1: Listen, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's when you—that's when you. <laughs> I mean, really, I felt. No, going to concerts with twenty-two year olds is like totally my jam. Like I'm like, yo, let's go. But also, <laughs> but also, I get you. I feel you. And it's so important to have like peers and guys that you can just relate to. And yeah, there's certain dude. Do- there's so many things mm-hmm. clearly that you know a a twenty-two year old just isn't gonna understand who doesn't have kids and isn't a single dad, right, or whatever the thing is. So that's, yeah. That's so I don't get it. It's just it's download.
2: Always... Just download Tinder. Swipe right. Swipe left.
1: <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it's cool. Cool. Th- thanks for the pro tip. <laughs> yeah.
0: Says the guy who has a wife, whatever. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, it's it's one of those things, you know, it, it's it, like you said, I loved hanging out and doing things because I hadn't done that. You know, I was for a long time and I got to go to those, those concerts and hang out and be, you know, with cool people, I guess is what you would say. Um, but yeah, I had no one to talk to about things that I was going through. You know, how do you talk to a 22 year old about, the feelings you're feeling after a divorce or, you know, the right. fact that you're, you you know, your six year old is doing this and they don't even know kids. <laughs> it's like they are, That's you know, cool. almost. Right. Um, so it's definitely, it was hard. Um, and, you know, it's again, props to you for doing some really cool stuff over the last couple of years too. Um, you know, you guys did the reunion show in 2017, which I just heard this week, by the way. And oh. man, it's like you guys, it almost sounds better live than it did on the album. And I don't mean to throw the album away, but man, no, live, yeah. it was really, it was really cool. Oh,
1: wow. Well, that, well, first of all, I'm smiling over here. Cause you know, that's a huge compliment. Um, Thank you. And, and yeah, no joke. Like, I mean, all ego aside here, it's like, I walked off that stage going, we're better. We're better than we ever were. We did one rehearsal the day mm-hmm. before that show. Or the week before that wow show. for real and yeah and um and you know you put in the work just like anything in life you put in the work and it shows up you know and i, I rehearsed my brains out without the band for for three weeks before the show i worked out super hard you know I, I work out but but i put in a lot of extra cardio and plyo and i did all the vocal warm-ups and did all the things and got myself in a place and and you know when you're prepared and you get to show up and do it and it feels really good you know we always joke around we're like if we do a reunion show it must be better. You know, you can't go do a reunion show as a band and be like, and people were like, oh man, it was, it was cool. That's the worst thing ever. Yeah. Oh, they were cool. <laughs> but man, it was so cool in 04 when I saw him, you know what I mean? And so thank you for that compliment. Cause it, um, it's something that we were really proud of And that. And, and I would agree, you know, there's, there's a lot, that album, the live album sounds really good. We worked really hard on it. Josh, our bass player mixed it. Um, Josh is amazing. Um, sure. and and uh, grateful for the guys who recorded that for us and, and yeah it came out it came out great and and we were super happy with it and it's it's fun for you know people people to hear it. it's just it was cool we, we always had the thing that you know a lot of people said that like, you know, dude, you guys put on the great, you know, for years, how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows where people would say, oh, man, you guys, I love your album. You guys are so but you're so good live and we love your live show. And I just wish you could capture. And that's always the thing, you know, how do we capture the album, the energy of an uh, of the music on an album? Right. And really do it justice. And and not that I hate on those record, those albums, but I, you know putting that alive album now it was fun because it, it did it was like oh there's the energy there's the rawness of it you know it's not perfect and yeah in all of its ways but it, it sounds good and we're grateful for that it was cool uh
0: two last things uh before you have to go we are nearing our um our, our hour mark or so but number one how was it um to play that live show um and have your kids be around to see it uh, that must have been great cool. question man
1: great question um well, that one that one was really cool because my kids were older. The first uh, couple of reunion shows we did, the first one I, I remember, remember my son being on his uncle's shoulders out in the crowd, and my son just staring at me, like, "Oh my God, this is my dad!" You know, um, he and he had because he hadn't really seen me play before. You know, just like little things, like with some friends or you know whatever, but not like playing a big show like that. And you know, it's funny. When I was touring, when we were touring, I I will never forget, like specifically Woov from P.O.D., the drummer from P.O.D., he would have his son out and his son would wear like noise canceling headphones and be sitting there next to his dad with his drumsticks watching his dad play. And I always remembered thinking, man, I hope I get to, you know, have kids someday and for them to see me play music live because it's just so fun. And um, so it was a huge, huge moment for me. And, And that last show with the Supertones specifically, was was just really cool because they were again they were older, they were able to understand that they like they love music and they listen to a lot of cool stuff. And they were like, whoa dad, you were insane. You know, you were you guys were so great. And so it just it just felt really good. And you know, I think the bottom line about that is that it it feels it feels so good as a dad to be able to do something that you love so much that you're so passionate about, that's so therapeutic, feels so connected with god and humans you know and that that um that they could experience that with me was like was a huge gift man it was it was beautiful
0: that's awesome well hey just to end it um you know what does the future hold uh for a number of things number one you what what's going on in the next uh year or so and then also a uh, music wise are you doing anything in the future solo or with packs or anything like that
1: yeah it's great um well with me personally i'm um, continuing to build this this temple group of guys and we're expanding that to other people to other men who are interested in in um, being a part of something that goes quite deep and is super fun and um, just really teaches on embodiment and what it's like to you know hold hold ground as a man and grow as a man and um, and physi- physiologically mentally emotionally and your awareness your mindfulness all these things and so it's that's a big big thing right now i'm actually um getting ready to launch the temple podcast which i'm really excited about so that will be coming out uh, oh, nice. probably first part of september so if you're out there and you want to check out my podcast i'd love uh for you to stop by at uh, you and your ears and your heart stop by and uh <laughs> if i can shamelessly promote here on absolutely go for it <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks guys and um and then um musically i'm i'm really excited actually i've i've you know i've resisted putting out music for so long for so many reasons and um yeah, i've i've recorded a bunch of demos for years and years and just never actually released much i put out uh, there's one song out under tosti the artist named tosti called where uh and that's out and I've, I've got two more songs in the mix right now that i'm i'm hoping to finish up and hopefully to release sometime in september as well um and i'm so grateful i'm, I'm uh, really close friend of mine, Steve Wilmot, who is uh, a producer, amazing guy who works with Ryan Tender and uh, Brent Kutzel, One Republic, for years and years and years, um, has just been a huge support to me as a friend. He, he, you know, When we were kids, we used to play in bands together, and he was always encouraging me to get back out there and do stuff. And so I'm working on a couple tracks right now and looking forward to releasing those, uh, like I said, in, in probably September. So that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm up to musically. And I've actually been i should also say that this last year during COVID, i was really grateful to be able to i've been working with a a friend of mine his name is nolan gross and he's an artist a young young artist he's 18 and uh, we just finished his second album and i'm so proud of it i got steve wilmot produced it i co-wrote and um was a part of production as well here and there and playing on it and um it was just an amazing experience and uh it's a great great album, it's super dope, and uh, also with an artist named Tree Hill, who's a spoken word artist, and she's an amazing, uh, deep, profound, spiritually connected woman, and um good friend of mine, so anyways, there's two projects that I was able to be a part of on a creative front, which, which was really, really uh, freeing for me, especially during COVID, when I wasn't being hired for any photo work at all, and just quite, you know, had a lot of time, and was like, all right, let's make stuff, and so um, just had a beautiful Time working with those artists, so check out Nolan Gross and uh Tree Hill, and um, and then the stuff from Tosti coming soon.
2: Nice, last thing for me, and I'm gonna ask you the same thing I asked Josh Kemble of Dogwood. Oh, Josh, I love Josh. Josh Josh is cool. Josh was in my wedding, was he really?
1: Yeah, and I was in his.
2: Josh is a cool dude. You know, I asked him the same question because I'm a huge Dogwood fan. I grew, up, I grew up at Dogwood from all the way back in the uh, Through Thick and Thin album when they were on Rescue Records back in the day. But mm-hmm. I asked him the same thing and I asked you, you know, will there ever be another PAX 217 album coming out?
1: <laughs> I um, I can't imagine it at yeah. this time. Um, I think, I think um, you know, there's a joke the joke is this you know bands don't break up they just take breaks yeah know? and um <laughs> and and we've all seen that uh, time and time again and it's, it's fun but i i think for us you know there was a sort of like there was a sort of like just really surrendering to and just letting it sit down and go yeah this was a cool season this was an amazing like big block i mean it was like 12 years of my life that i went yeah. in from 15 to 27 you know almost 28 where i that's all i did was eat sleep and breathe packs and it was it was rad and and do i want to do it that way do i want to make music to say you know you know no probably it's probably not the the thing for us but it is has been a gift to like get back together do those reunions yeah. i do have a i do have a, a oh here we go here I, we go I do have i do have a, a dream of um I think it would be really fun to have for there to be some some pax 217 songs being uh, remixed which would be incredible so i've yeah. always kind of had this like oh. back then like ah oh, may, maybe we could like put out some remixes or something or if some djs came along somebody actually reached out to me recently who wants to remix a track and i was like awesome and we haven't connected that yet but we'll see but maybe maybe that's another iteration that just would be a, a fun fun thing to release a few things that um, for remixes because it's all about the collab. And, yeah. You know, it's,
0: that's cool. But yeah, That's Pretty cool. Much. Well, hey, thank you again for joining us. Um, we're about to end the show, if you don't mind just hanging on for a few seconds while we say goodbye. But uh, thank you again to David from PAX 217. You can check him out online. We will have the links posted to uh, all of his different areas that you can see his work um, in our... Uh, Uh, YouTube site and also on our Facebook and Spotify. So thank you very much for joining us again, David, and thank you guys at home for listening or watching. uh, And uh, thanks again.